You're also listening to Feminist Killjoys PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional Killjoys. Aw, thanks, Mel. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be discussing the Black Bloc, women's march debates, and in general, uh, violent versus nonviolent resistance, plus, of course, uh, kind of in in time reflection on the shit that's going down with uh, Donald Trump's most recent ban on immigrants and Muslim people more generally. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? In select places. We've downgraded. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, We're on iTunes and your favorite podcast apps. You can leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, We have a Facebook page and a community group, Feminist Killjoy's uh, community community <laughs> wtf power just i always want to like every every few episodes i want to or not every few but every once in a while i want to remind people that wtf stands for women trans femme because i feel like if if they missed that in our first like couple weeks of recording they're like what does that mean if you don't know what yeah. that means or if your local activisty circles don't use that as an acronym right it's very <clears throat> big here in minneapolis but yeah, I don't, know I don't know that I don't know that that's the case everywhere, though. Yeah. So, okay. anyway, so that's that. What Where the fuck else? community? That's what that means. <laughs> okay, so Facebook stuff. And then we have a Twitter account. Uh, we have a mixtape on Spotify, which people were struggling to find, but you have pointed them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can find that link in our community group. Another reason to join the group if you can't find it on mm-hmm. Spotify. And we just have some amazing conversations that have now resulted in this uh, episode topic, basically. Totally. Okay. Still going here. Okay. If you have extra dollars and you want to support media maker, feminist media makers, you can donate to our website directly. Just click on the birdie or we have a Patreon account and shout out to, we got two donations this week, Nicole and Shireen. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'm really into uh, Shireen's donation because for, for whatever reason, PayPal, when they emailed us, they're like, you've got cash. (laughs) <laughs> usually doesn't happen when they when people donate so i'm like so we got cash rachel uh, cool love it yeah thank you to, um, thank you to all all our uh donors and supporters we appreciate it a lot yeah super duper and then you can always email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com great so how's your how's this shitty fucking week been for you it's been very <laughs> shitty. I had did yeah. not have a good well, kind of amped up. Like I remember on Wednesday, I turned to one of my students and I said, "I'm not feeling good today. Like I feel really drained." And I kind of had that, you know that that feeling of dread or like that empty stomach feeling, like nervous mm-hmm. stomach for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like it was I was about to go teach, like I love teaching. Yeah. But, you know. Right. And so I noticed that on Wednesday and then by Friday, I was crying in my car, like 
almost hyperventilating. But what was weird was that it it wasn't it it felt like it came out of nowhere. Like even though I was upset in my head, you know how sometimes when you cry, you're kind of like encouraging yourself to cry or yeah. But it just all of a sudden I was crying in the car and it was just I did not have a good day. Yeah, it was just it's been really bad. So I'm not doing well. I can say that sadly, but. A silver lining is I'm in, um, Rachel knows this, but I've been doing these political cabarets for many years and it kind of, they kind of fizzled out towards the end of Obama's, uh, presidency, but now we're back and we're doing mm-hmm. a new cabaret that's, uh, being performed next weekend called the Trumpocalypse, which other people have that use that phrase, but it's basically mm-hmm. an anti-Trump play and we're singing print songs set to like political lyrics so That's awesome. it's making me feel a little bit better. Although some of the humor in the play is almost not funny anymore because right. it's just real. It's just real. And the play was, yeah. written, you know, before he got into office officially. And so right. this weird mix of actually the playwriter predicting the future and also some of us just being like, I can't say this like this isn't funny because this is actually right. happening now. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. If you're in Minneapolis, I recommend you go see it though, um, because when I when I've seen, I think I've seen two in the past that you were in, and they have been fabulous. And so even if you're like crying slash laughing, I'm sure it'll be good to be in community of like minded exactly. people. That is what's yeah. making me feel okay, because then I could just go to yeah. play rehearsal, and everybody was cheering on the airport workers last night or the the taxi drivers last night and the airport protesters you know it's just nice to be in a a, you know I don't want to use the word safe but in community I like yeah that phrase so totally all right enough about me how are you uh it's also been kind of a shitty week and it was my birthday week and that made me extra sad because I was like I'm supposed to be having the best week and the world is falling apart more and more every day uh because of our president and that was hard. And just like uh, my birthday night was really nice. Props to my partner who planned a nice dinner and um, got me an amazing uh, present. He got me, um, for those of you who know Galactic Rabbit, who's one of my favorite astrologers, uh, he basically got her to like write a letter to me, um, like with, you know, she found out my time of birth and stuff. It's not exactly a chart. If you read Galactic Rabbit, she calls her horoscopes love letters. So it was like an astrological love letter um, to me. And it was, I was just like crying at the table because it was like, like a lot of astrology, like you read into it, what actually works for you. And there was a lot that was like really resonating with me. So that was really awesome. So yeah, I mean, my birthday night was nice, but I've just been a lot of other shit this week has not been good in the world and also just in my life. And I've just been feeling kind of emotional So that's whatever. But Friday night uh, was fun because we got to see Two Dope Queens live. They were in Boston. And so I got to see Phoebe and Jessica do their thing on stage um, and some really awesome local comedians uh, who were also there. Um, The only issue with that is that the first show, they had a 730 show that sold out like within an hour. And so they did it. So they, by popular demand, they like did a second show, but it didn't start till 10 o'clock. And that's the tickets that we got. Oh and my just, God. Like, <laughs> that is like way, way past my bedtime. Because <laughs> like, we're because 42. I, and I, right. <laughs> but it's also like, I teach a number. I mean, I teach every week. I teach a 6am class that requires me to be up at five in the morning And I take a lot of 6 a.m. classes. And on Saturday mornings, I have to be up at 7 to teach an 8 o'clock class. Um, This is all yoga, not college. 
<clears throat> so it was, I mean, it's just really hard for me to be awake <laughs> late these days. So yeah, that was rough. And we had to leave before it was over because I was literally falling asleep. Um, no, but, no, that's the worst. But it was, but it was like the last comedian. And they, as soon as that comedian was done, they had to end the show anyway, because okay. they had to be out of the, out of the theater. But it was, it was really, as, as is the case, I think that a lot of like attempting to be woke white people, like kind of appreciate the show is like, and like, obviously people of color, like just how rare it is to see two black women, like talk about whatever. And they're not like in a movie where they're like the friend of the white person, or they're not talking about like tragedy. You know, they're just like two women talking and they're black and they're rad and hilarious. And it's just, you know, passes every, every version of the Bechdel test. So this dinner party. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's what? a note uh, that says Mel and Phoebe are soulmates. I'll explain. Oh, and look, you didn't explain. Wall. <laughs> okay. So one of the funniest parts of their like <laughs> jibber jabber um, was Jessica Williams was talking about seeing, saw, she saw John Hamm at Sundance. She had been at Sundance and Phoebe, as soon as she said the name John Hamm, Phoebe's like her stance just widened. Her, she like spread her legs widely because I don't know if you know the deal with John Hamm, but um, no. there's like an, a picture of him. He has a giant cock. Um, oh, okay. There's like a picture of him, and you can see the sort of outline of his of his large member. And um, so there's like a lot of people on the internet who are like mm, John Hamm, like Got give it. me some okay. of that. And so Phoebe, like his legs just spread, and the audience just started cracking up. And then she goes, sex with me, so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I was like, oh, Phoebe and Mel both sang Rihanna on the podcast. (laughs) Yes. That's good. All right. Now I know. Thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. Can't believe you didn't even bring that up. I had to break the fourth wall. You did. You did. You never did that. Okay. So there's a lot of shit ruining the dinner party, and it's not because we're going to mention it in your company. It's because the world is shit. Where shall we start? I know. I mean, Friday, uh, you know, I think he said, I feel like the whole, there's been so much denial that I've like let myself be a part of because when he was running for president, it was like, this is hilarious. He's not actually going to like really like stay in this race. He's just like making a joke and he'll be done. And then he stayed and it's like, well, that's funny, but he's not obviously not going to win. And then he won. And then people were like, all that shit he said he was going to do, build a wall, ban Muslims, like, clearly that's not going to happen. And I like let myself believe those things because I just could not wrap my head around them happening. And here we are. It's happening. So fuck Donald Trump, fuck and also fuck a society that has like populist sentiment that enabled Donald Trump to get into office and that we have a world in which a large number of people actually support these things. So it's not, I want to just like make, make clear that it's like not just Trump. It's also, we have to like fight the racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia that exists in our entire society, not just him, but fuck all that. And there are literally people, you know, in the past couple of days who've been deported. There are students that were visiting their families in this set of countries that can't get back into the country. I saw a post today of a woman who's like, my car is literally at the airport. Like I had a dog, somebody sitting my like dog sitting and like, what am I like? I literally am not allowed back in the U.S. It's so fucked. What do you think about it? <laughs> well, the one thing that I am still curious about that I 
would hope that some journalists would kind of dig into is how quickly the airport workers were following Trump's executive order. It was almost immediate, which seems very peculiar because how that word got out to all of the, you know, and I don't, it's probably the customs people at the, at the border check-ins. Yeah. But A, why all, like, why did it happen so fast? And B, why are these people actually following orders? Yeah. Like, at this, I mean, because it happened so fast, what would be the consequence of them just letting people through with the, with the total justification that I didn't know that this was an order coming down the pipeline, yeah. you know, like just plead yeah. ignorance for a while. But then on top of that, clearly with all the protests that were going on at JFK, Dallas, Los Angeles, Portland, Boston, Seattle, clearly <laughs> they have the support of the people to just let people through. And at this yep. point, it's like you have to resist orders. Like, I don't want to I, yeah. I hate to bring up the I don't want to um, do comparisons to like Nazi Germany, because I think sometimes that's like a false comparison that just makes yeah. things more sensational. But I mean, right. this is the this is the thing that like if you yeah. just say yes and just keep doing what the president's saying to do then yeah, we're going to keep reaffirming his status quo. But I don't know who would have actually gotten in trouble if they would have said no, like I refuse. Right. I mean, it's I think it's I think it's fear of, uh, you know, working people that they're, you know, not going to get a paycheck are going to get in trouble with the government. Like, are they, you know, it's a mix of, you know, like, human slash socialized self interest and fear. I'm curious now that you're saying that, what what does the the TSA must belong to a union, yeah, or do they not? Yeah, but TSA just does security. It's like the the border people. It's the border people. It's, yeah, it's okay. when you have to go through customs, which is already kind of a nerve wracking experience. I mean, I I also would wonder if people who have those jobs are already predisposed to be you know followers of authority. You know, that's a good point. That's I mean, if you're going to be fucking if you're going to be fucking border patrol, I mean you obviously believe in borders, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, but if you're just, if you're at the airport and you're the customs person that's stamping passports, yeah, it's a federal I mean, I, job. It's probably a good job. But right. how much of it is like pretty much military psych- psychology where you're like, you have right. to just, you're just trained to follow orders. But I bet there's a lot more sort of nationalism that goes into training since 9-11 of anybody mm, that works at the airport. That's a good you point. Know? Although yeah. I would say if there are any Border Patrol people listening or people who are in kind of this position, I hope that they know that if they would get fired for doing something like this, people would raise money for them as well. I mean, obviously, that's not a long term yeah. solution, but I would hope that people realize that we're all in community with the resistance and that Mm -hmm. we've seen this happen time and time again, that when people get in trouble or get fired for standing up, usually people respond with money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and I want to give a shout out to the New York taxi uh, workers Alliance, which is basically the union of the taxi drivers who um, refused to go to JFK as long as this ban was in, was intact. And, those acts of solidarity are so fucking powerful. And like, how incredible would it be if everybody at the fucking airport was mm-hmm. just like, nope, I'm not going to do my job. It'd be, it'd be so powerful. I mean, that's, that's where organizing, you know, comes into play. And, and if something like that could happen, I mean, that would be, that'd be incredible. You know, we'll have to stay tuned and see how that works. But 
that would be the best case scenario is that these workers would resist these these orders. But it didn't happen. But we'll, we'll yeah. see. I did hear that I did hear a word that they were resisting the stay. So the ACLU fought successfully in court last night to put a stay <clears> on the ban, which is just extremely temporary. But then there right. was a word coming out that the the border officials, the custom people weren't following the stay and still keeping yeah. people behind. So I don't Yeah, also shout out to the to the lawyer like lawyers who do the work, the work of the, of the, of the good fight, you know, I mean, cause there's a lot of like lawyers who I wish would also walk off their jobs cause fuck them for what they do. Mm-hmm. But there are so many, the national lawyers guild and the folks at the ACLU that were like fighting the good fight. This is like one of those examples when it's like, Oh, this is why we actually need both in the street militant direct action. And also people who are like literally doing the paperwork to like mm-hmm. fix this shit simultaneously. So shout out to them as well. Yeah, we have a couple friends of the show that are badass lawyers. So you're the best. You do important work, even though I'm sure their job is underappreciated in many ways. Yeah, totally. Um, shall we move on to the topic of the day? Yeah, I mean, it's related, but um, we want to specifically turn to the Women's March and Critiques of the Women's March, which we uh, spoke about a little bit last week. And then we'll sort of get in more to the Black Block and notions of violence and direct action and protest. So we actually have a a listener and friend of the podcast who has some thoughts about this. Yeah. Yes. But uh, she needs to be anonymous because of her, I don't, because of her job, but uh, she was really engaged with us about the conversations around the Women's March, both in DC and also nationwide in terms of uh, who was represented, you know, the issue of intersectionality, which was a term that we kind of unpacked early on in, in this podcast uh, series, you know, the concept of, uh, it's not just a women's issue, it's, you know, you have to bring in race and class and sexuality and, and physical abilities and stuff all into this discussion. And, and the critique is that there's too much focus on just the white liberal feminism that kind of gets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cycled through during these times. It's just kind of like the mainstream feminism. So anyways, Mm -hmm. uh, she had some specific thoughts um, as she identifies as a a woman of color. Um, And so she called in and we're going to uh, splice in her thoughts now. Hello, it's Melody. Our amazing listener of the show and friend, Jay, left a message but because I did not warn her that there is a three minute limit to my voicemail, what she wanted to say did not get fully recorded. And so I wanted to read you something that she sent to highlight her points. And so I quote, things are moving very quickly under the new regime. They're setting up Iwanta continuing to attack the press, and of course, the Muslim ban signed late Friday night is having numerous negative consequences. They are detaining and deporting green card holders and what we think of as new refugees. It is very disgusting. Despite the federal judge ruling against it, the latest I have read is that only the Boston airport is truly complying with the orders of the stay and not deporting or detaining people. This is a great reminder that our resistance must be multifaceted. It's not just about climate change or police brutality or no dapple. It is about all of this. The Women's March last Saturday in D.C. had a good platform. Overall, that was not solely focused on women's rights to control our bodies. It was intersectional, and except for removal language regarding the rights of sex workers, it seems to have been 
well thought out and very inclusive. There have been a lot of great articles online critiquing the Women's March in D.C. and other marches, but also a lot of support. My personal thought is that while it is great so many people came out on Saturday, we can still critique it. Our critique can be nuanced and not just 100% yes or 100% no. I attended the Friday March here, but not the Saturday March. And Jay lives in Minneapolis, by the way. Again, quoting Jay, I had some of some other commitments Saturday and personally I get anxious and super large crowds and I prefer to float around and not feel hammered in or hemmed in, if that makes sense. It makes sense, Jay. Quoting again, Friday had made about, um, the march had about 2,000 people while Saturday had 90,000 people in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I was really glad to see so many people come out and some of them were protesting in public for the first time. I'm glad they're protesting, but did agree with others who had a quote unquote, where were you before mindset. There were stories both in St. Paul and at other marches about white women protesting, but being disrespectful. We know this is not all white women, but I am saddened that in all of these stories, it doesn't sound like other white women called out the shitty behavior. And I, this is Melody now talking, and I want to make a side note that uh, Jay identifies as Latina, and I'm not sure if I made that uh, clear to begin with. Uh, so uh, lots of, Lat- and, and Jay said lots of Latinos are actually black. I do not self-identify as black. I think the average person on the street would consider me a brown person. So Jay continues, quote, I do not really publicly I did not really publicly protest until Trayvon Martin was executed. I have been to several Black Lives Matter marches, and I wonder how much more impactful they would have been if even a tenth of the Saturday march turnout had come out to join and say, yes, Black Lives Matter. I say this to be honest and recognize that many other people have been protesting much longer than I have. Some examples I read online, but trust that it happened. In L.A., some white woman had a sign that said, woman is the N-word of the world. In D.C., white women being disrespectful to Native American women and trying to break into their circle. In St. Paul, there was a report that an anti-March protester was surrounded by people who didn't like his sign. And then these women, who are predominantly people of color, were told to stand down and wait for the police and not harm anyone. The last example shows a fear of violence or even speaking out a fear of confrontation. This is bullshit. And Melody would like to interject to say that that story about St. Paul was verified. One of the people that um, were trying to shut this guy down uh, was communicating with me directly. So that I can definitely confirm happened. Jay continues, I had a white female friend who flew to D.C. And I'm ignoring here, of course, the economic privilege of being able to travel to D.C., Uh, She posted about how she was glad that the crowd was so friendly. She had had bad experiences at large public concerts before. Note her frame of reference, which indicates she hasn't protested much or at all before, but totally valid, fair comment, right? But then she starts talking about how great it was that there were no arrests. The implication being that other protests where there are arrests are because of protesters are to blame. I called her out on it. And posted a few articles, but she hasn't fully responded enough um, to satisfy me. She is still my friend, but it shows how far people, especially those who who are newly aware of how damaging this new regime can be, 
how far we have to move. We have to move people along the spectrum. We all know the 53% stat, which is the percentage of white women who voted for Trump. Of course, the police don't arrest the big white lady march. Were there lots of queer, trans, people of color, black, indigenous people at the march in D.C.? Absolutely. But the majority, I think, in D.C. appear to be white women. I'm disgusted that people apparently took photos with the police, also as part of the quote-unquote, look at us peaceful protesters, we are so peaceful, we even love the police, mindset. As a person of color who grew up in the U.S., I have an extremely healthy, extreme view (laughs) of the police. There is a lot of work to be done to convince the quote-unquote selfie with police people that they should change their attitudes towards the police. Some people who are proud of the quote-unquote no marches at my no arrests at my march are ignoring their white privilege. They may not have it forever, especially as our country lurches closer to fascism, but for now it generally seems to be holding true. This privilege allows them to have little to no fear of the police. Another reason I was leery of the march in St. Paul on Saturday was that it was organized by the quote-unquote former Pantsuit Nation Facebook page. I was part of it shortly after the election and found it to be completely unhelpful to me. It was 80% white women whining about how to talk to their white Trump relatives, 10% telling people of color to shut up about their concerns and critiques of the space being overly white, and 10% quote-unquote love conquers all bullshit stories about how someone hugged a Somali person or adopted a brown baby. It was not helpful to me processing the election, although I guess it did help me realize how so many white people voted for Trump. They aren't going to listen to my argument to not vote for Trump because they are illogical and because I'm brown, but they might listen to other white people. And yet these scared women on Pantsuit Nation were so worried about stressful Thanksgiving. Clearly they hadn't tried to have any tough discussions or simple, no, that's not true, with their Trump relatives. I know there were similar concerns at the national level, and those largely improved after three women of color were brought in to organize it, including a Muslim woman, shout out, that's Melody's shout out. I'm not aware of how the local St. Paul group may have reorganized or not. I don't have time for the nonsense I saw, though, on the Facebook group. Going back to the march, I think that locally there was a lot of energy spent on getting a permit to march. Friday felt more radical in that sense, although I recognize the two cities have different rules about needing permits. Basically, I say we give people a pass, especially if it was their first march. But we need to teach people that asking for permission is not radical enough, not when we are dealing with this new regime. Do they not see the irony of asking the government to protest the same government? On the second day, sure, the new government hasn't really settled in, but we've seen these bills proposed all over that make protesting highly illegal and very costly. Uh, Side note from Melody, in Minneapolis, they're trying to pass a bill that would charge protesters for the cost of protesting, which means covering police costs and other related costs. Anyways, back to Jay. People need to realize very quickly that asking for permission to protest Trump and Republicans and their policies is illogical, inefficient, and helps promote fascism. It's very interesting to me that in Latin America, especially, they have a much longer tradition and lack of hesitancy to publicly protest, to use public spaces in different ways that are quote-unquote formally allowed.
there's been a lot of great articles, but sometimes humor is the most effective weapon. Reductress had an article about a white woman that marched on uh, DC and basically would be talking about it for the next four years, but not do anything else. It was hilarious. Uh, and this is Melody finishing up here. Rachel just sent me the same exact article today. What a coincidence or what? So in the spirit of white feminists not taking the mic so often, we're just going to, this is what was said, and we're not going to unpack it very much because we already talked too much about, about these issues and white <laughs> people have said plenty. So we're just going to leave it at that. Um, but what we do want to talk about for the rest of the episode today is something that we've brought up before without much discussion, and that is Black Block and you know, what we're seeing is kind of the resurgence of the black bloc in the Trump era. And so uh, we have a, a strong history with the black bloc, I guess, in our youth. And so we wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, before I let Rachel talk about her very smart things that she knows about the black bloc, you know, we framed this episode partially around violence versus nonviolent tactics. And definitely black bloc, the reason why they get critiqued is because of their use of violence, which Rachel will kind of get into. But as we talk today, something we also wanted people to consider while we're talking is what you understand is violent versus nonviolent tactics. Um, because I think sometimes in public discussions around Black Lives Matter tactics, such as occupying spaces, taking over freeways, uh, which aren't technically physically violent, people react as if it was a violent act. Um, and I mm -hmm. think if we would talk to the detractors and say, no, 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 this is a nonviolent act, they would probably disagree with us or not see how civil disobedience is nonviolent. So mm -hmm. to the people who theorize and talk about civil disobedience, it is technically a nonviolent tactic. Mm -hmm. Not, But that is not to say that sometimes people see it as violence more symbolically. Yeah. And we'll get into that. I mean, it's it, everything you're saying is, you know, I think pointing to the fact that violence has different definitions for different people and is, mm -hmm. is subjective. So yeah. So to sort of get into who the black block is, what, what they are, what they do for those of you who, who this is, you know, you're not super familiar with this term. You've surely probably seen images of, Anytime really there's like mass uh, marches or rallies, uh, whether it's starting for in my consciousness, the WTO process in Seattle, uh, the George Bush era, Iraq war stuff. And then this happened. Uh, there was there was definitely black block stuff happening at Black Lives Matter rallies, but there was like kind of enough sort of critique and honestly enough like anyway, that's sort of a separate issue. But there was a presence at Black Lives. There has been a presence at Black Lives Matter events. But then they they they've made they've made a lot of news again in response to Trump's presidency. They the images that you might have seen are people in black hoodies, often with bandanas around their faces, wearing at least some black, throwing bricks through Starbucks windows. The setting the limo on fire is one of the more popular images that has been circulating in the past couple weeks. So property destruction uh, is is a common is a common thing. So that's sort of you're, so maybe some light bulbs are going off like, oh, okay, that's the black block. So that's sort of their public image. 
these young kids, usually you can tell that often they're white, throwing bricks through windows, setting dumpsters on fire, setting cars on fire, cop cars, limos, etc. So that's their their public perception. To dig a little deeper into the roots of who the Black Bloc is, they, they started in Germany. Uh, 1986 was the first major movement of the Black Bloc, and they were trying to defend a German squat. A squat is basically uh, when people take over an unoccupied home or piece of land uh, in, in protest of uh, <clears throat> basically ownership of land and, and, and the sale of land. So to have an empty house, for example, that's literally empty, nobody's doing anything with it, and to have homeless people the the squatter movement in Europe was basically showing the hypocrisy of that. Like, how can we have homeless people and empty homes? This is fucking ridiculous. We're going to take over this empty home so that people can have a place to live. So that's sort of the roots of the squatter movement. And in 1986, this first major movement of this of this uh, squatter protest, the Black Bloc actually won. They faced down police. They occupied this home. And after these sort of militant tactics um, of occupation and physical resistance, they main got rights of this, of this home, of this, of this, you know, this, the squad. So it kind of came to the U S around the same time, later eighties, early nineties, the first major action in the U S was against the Persian Gulf war. And again, my earliest memory of them was during the WTO protests where they got a lot of attention, uh, during that, those sort of demonstrations, uh, against the WTO and, and all the, all the things that was, was going around with that. So, uh, that's sort of the background. Um, Mel, do you want to jump in with sort of more reasons why they're crit- critiqued? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the biggest one besides property damage that to outsiders seems often disconnected from whatever is being protested uh, at the moment. Basically, like if I'm going to go protest Donald Trump, what does smashing a Starbucks window have to do with Donald Trump? And for Mm -hmm. those of us involved in radical politics, we can see the connection pretty clearly. But um, to outsiders, they don't it's hard to make those connections very clearly in the news media so that, that they often get uh, slammed for that. And before I talk about identity politics, I, I just wanted to do a quick timeout in reference to an internet meme. Have you seen the one going around, Rachel, about why don't the people smashing the windows go inside and actually organize the workers? Did you see mm, that one? I haven't seen that one. Who's so, circulating that? I wonder. Uh, I'm not sure, but an IWW person posted it and I can send it to you and put it on the community group but the fun, but, but the funny thing about that whoever made the meme doesn't know anything about what's going <laughs> on because the anarchists are the ones that organize starbucks right i was gonna say the iww is like filled of full of people who do both smash windows and organize workers <laughs> like, yeah and like specifically <laughs> these very hard to organize places like in minneapolis right, exactly. we had a huge movement with Starbucks and Jimmy John's unionizing that was 100% directed by IWW anarchists. Yep. So that yep. if you're seeing that meme, uh, don't be like, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, because <laughs> they're actually the same people. They, they right. also <laughs> yeah. work undercover at Starbucks. So right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Part of the other critique is um, who they are. And so they often are middle class sometimes upper class white men who have basically what people would say, like they've turned their back on their class position. And they've just said, I don't want to be middle or upper class, I'm going to 
pretty much go down into this working class space and organize these workers, but also just like resist the status quo in all of, you know, in all of these ways. Now, and I'm not saying that there aren't working class people of color involved in the group, but predominantly, and even like the the protests that I was at last weekend, they're basically young white kids. Um, yeah. So that's one thing. Also, they tend to be very unorganized. And so they'll just kind of come together ad hoc. Uh, that's I mean, that's kind of one of the the points of Black Bloc is that it's just you just come together. Spontaneous. And, yeah. And that you can signal that you're part of a Black Bloc, even if you don't know them. So right. I, I didn't know this happened, Rachel, but my student who I was with at the, at the Trump rally, we were wearing all black. I was wearing all black yeah. in subtle solidarity with a femme Black Bloc that was going on. Yep. But when we were hanging out with the Black Bloc and dancing with them, one of them actually asked Billy if he wanted a mask to put on. Oh, really? Yes, because we were kind of symbolizing that we were down with them. So they'll, like, bring other people in if they kind of see that you're you're down. But they're also, you know, they like to have fun. And so at our march, they were, like, setting off fireworks and they had, like, Mm -hmm. blue, like, different colored smoke that they were... So they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're unorganized. They're like hooligans, pranksters. So they they kind of fly in the face of the more professionalized, organized marches and, and activism that uh, maybe some of you are more familiar with. And actually, I'll, I'll make sure that I splice in this song. But there's this uh, rap artist, P.O.S., from Minneapolis, and he's mm-hmm. got a song that in part talks about, like, you probably don't want me at your protests because I'm going to be breaking windows instead of holding a damn sign. Hold up, yo. I'm probably not welcome at your protest. Sam out of my damn mind looking to break glass, not holding the damn sign. So uh, clearly it, it's it's not shocking that the public does, like the majority of people, including people in like left of center uh, protest spaces don't always love them. In addition to the sort of these are just like young middle class white kids, you know, being being pranksters or whatever. There are some sort of deeper critiques that are, you know, like they don't think about how, first of all, their white privilege, they can get away with this. And if they go to jail, like nothing that bad is going to happen. How, you know, undocumented people could never be a part of this because if they got arrested, they would, you know, they, they don't have that same access to those spaces and to those kinds of protest tactics. You know, they're not, the black bloc isn't thinking about their whiteness. The black bloc isn't thinking about undocumented people. The black bloc isn't, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I would a hundred percent agree that that is the case for some folks, but I think one of the Uh, One thing I feel grateful for is that my introduction to black black folks, well, after once I sort of got into Chicago and was a little bit older after the WTO, is that actually most of them are thinking a ton about that shit. Like they are in radical spaces. They have very radical politics. They, you know, they're well-read and thoughtful or or when I say well-read, I mean like they're thoughtful, whether that's through like formal education or like going to meetings and like hearing other people talk about radical politics. Like I actually think most of the black bloc people that I know um, and have known are incredibly thoughtful about that. And that one of the reasons that they're going to do these actions and there's also, you know, again, there are POC black bloc people and undocumented black bloc people. Like I have no doubt again, majority being these young white guys, maybe the fact that they can do this stuff and get away with this kind of the point, like they're going to put their bodies at do it, you know, to do the sort of actions that they feel are important because not everybody can do that. And this is getting us to the idea of diversity of tactics, which I think is going to be a really important thing throughout the next 
four years and just in general in life, and is maybe kind of a good transition to what we think about their specific tactics. So that's who they are. That's some of the critiques of them. And let's sort of unpack more the critiques of their property destruction. And this is going to get us into our conversation about violence. So one of the phrases I remember learning when I was actually, and I've talked about this on air before, when I was actually pretty critical of them, even as a leftist activist, I was like, ugh, like, we don't need to break windows to do this. I remember a good friend of mine, Maggie, if you're listening, you know who you are, shout out to you. And she was like, why are you shit talking these tactics? We need to destroy what destroys us. This is destroy what destroys you is like a phrase that I've heard in circulation with them. So, you know, capitalism destroys capitalism is a violent system. So we're going to like throw a brick through a symbol of capitalism, which is a corporate coffee chain that, you know, that has squelched mom and pop coffee shops, for example, or whatever. And uh, a limo is a symbol of the rich. We're going to set the limo on fire. Um, Cops, destroy POC communities, we're going to set the cop car on fire, destroy what destroys you. So that's some of the sentiment that I learned in terms of what it means to participate in property destruction. And it also creates a conversation around what violence is, which is what we want to keep talking about, right? Is it violent to throw a brick through a window or is it violent to be okay with uh, an economic system that requires that some people are in poverty and that some people have private jets and multiple homes? It isn't that more violent than throwing a brick through a window. As you've been talking, I was thinking about what happened in Ferguson, about the property mm-hmm. damage that, that came after uh, Michael Brown's death. And the media likes to focus on that property destruction. So there's it's like a two-sided coin. It's like property destruction symbolizes your anger and it gets media attention. But unfortunately, the media spins it as a riot and then it mm-hmm. it makes the protesting look uh, violent and disorganized and tangential to the larger issue at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then that is what ends up getting discussed. And so when you think Ferguson, you know, some people might just think of the riots and the angry black people, again, mm-hmm. a stereotype reaffirmed, instead of thinking, wow, if somebody is angry and distraught enough to destroy property, maybe we should pause and think about that anger and try to exactly. address that anger. Exactly. But because our news media is largely their job is to reaffirm the status quo, which includes capitalism and consumerism, Mm -hmm. they're never going to be able to have that kind of framework. Uh, They're never going to sit down with an activist and have a long form interview about what anger led you to do this. You know, they just they just wipe it as uh, a a riot. And then that delegitimizes the work that the black bloc does or property destruction as activism. That's that's also it makes the discussion more complicated when you bring in the news media, which often, you know, sends the message about what's going on in these uh, cities that are, you know, experiencing upheaval. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, that's another reason I think some people, again, even in left protest spaces are not fans of them because they aren't 
unlike the civil rights movement where MLK and all the other organizers were strategic about, we're going to have the media show images of dogs attacking black children because that's going to garner sympathy rather than a, a sort of more what is seemingly an offensive move. We're going to show the sort of like the the victim status of these people being attacked by dogs. That's not the black box tactic. Like they're not they're They know they're not going to like garner sympathy from the news media. So the question becomes, is does that mean that should that kind of activism shouldn't exist or or does this bring us to this idea of diversity of tactics where we want to have, you know, some images of the sad I mean, actually, one of the images I actually hate that's circulating is the fucking dead refugee child on the shores of the beach. Like, I don't want to look at a picture of a dead child. I don't want that kind of sensationalist stuff. But that's a tactic. Are we going to try to manipulate and appeal to people's emotions looking at dead pictures of dead children? Maybe that's one tactic. But the black bloc is saying, fine, my tactic is to destroy this stuff. And, you know, I think in alternative news media, and again, this goes back to our 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 news episode, are people actually reading the New York, you know, there are going to be people who are reading Twitter and getting more history of the reasoning behind this, right? So yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's also equally important. Yeah, so I think it, everything that we've been saying is suggesting that there is, there is meaning and thought that goes behind these actions. And if we look below the surface, which again, we don't necessarily see in mainstream media, if we look below the surface, we see a lot of strategic political thought kind of go in, into this stuff. We're kind of jumping around a little bit, but I do want to get, we're kind of jumping from sort of mainstream critique to leftist critique. One of the, speaking of this property destruction, the thing about this tactic that also gets some criticism um, in left spaces is that it's very masculinist or macho to, to, to have these militant sort of violent, quote unquote, violent uh, responses to things. And does that leave room for women, for example, um, or people who don't sort of perform their their response to politics and oppression violently, aggressively? And I think that's a really interesting question. And I think that, A, I'm really glad the fem block exists because that demonstrates that there are fem identified people who want to fucking throw down and like be aggressive in response to oppression. So that exists that granted, I I hadn't, there have always been women and black, I mean, maybe not in that first German squat resistance, but there's been women involved in black block. Totally not majority though. It's certainly not a space that is super welcoming to what people think of as being spaces that are welcoming to women, but there have always been women involved. But now we see most recently, as we've discussed on air, the femme block, which is women, black block and femme, et cetera. So that exists. Uh, But I also want to sort of unpack this idea that I think has been a big debate throughout history and also in the Black Panthers in regard to the militancy of the Black Panthers and their relationship to women. On the one hand, part of me feels like those critiques are really essentialist, uh, which in sort of gender theory is suggests that when we say something is is masculinist or uh, not a safe space for women, we're kind of reinforcing the binary, right? We're suggesting that there are things that women do and things that men do. So part of me is like, fuck that critique on the basis of reaffirming the gender binary. But on the other hand, we live in a world that values and socializes men to be masculine and and doesn't value femininity and socializes women to be feminine. So on that on that regard, I understand the critique is continuing to value aggressive what we call masculinity, whether that's coming from men or not. 
And so my conclusion in that sort of debate is, yeah, it's it's masculinist. It doesn't necessarily leave a lot of room for them, what we perceive and, and name femininity or feminine tactics, whatever that kind of even means. But that kind of, for me, goes back to like diversity of tactics. Mm-hmm. Like, let's have the black block doing their thing over here mm-hmm. and let's have a healing space where witches are making tonics for people to heal and sing or whatever, whatever you define as sort of more feminine. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I feel like that the answer is definitely diversity of tactics, uh, but not to ignore the very real problem of men often taking over these spaces and dominating them, which has been mm-hmm. historically an issue, including the civil rights movement, including mm-hmm. the Black Panthers, uh, the Weather Underground, uh, yep. SDS. So all of these radical spaces are often dominated by men, which causes alienation, but also doesn't allow for a diversity of tactics within its own, like, you know, uh, sub movement. So Mm -hmm. although I'm obviously totally with you on resisting the gender binary as it is, as it applies to these specific subgroups, Mm -hmm. it is important for us to acknowledge that men still find a way to dominate these spaces. Yeah, even in spaces that exist to resist the status quo. A hundred percent. And so that's why that critique is important to continue to be addressed. Um, and it's another reason I love that the fem block exists. Let's go back to unpacking violence a little bit more. So we have the, some of the, the critiques of this, of this tactic from, from the left is what we sort of just described, but let's go back to the idea of, uh, you know, your average, your average person who maybe is whatever, liberal or moderate or whatever, or even conservative, whatever, um, watching the news and being responding to this violence, quote unquote, violence is property destruction and saying, you know, there's no place for this. Uh, this is not how we should be behaving. It gives everybody a bad name, that kind of thing. One thing that I think is so infuriating, and we clearly talk about this a lot, um, is this sort of a historical lens that people, have in response to social change. So we have a movement, uh, you know, millions of people who want to resist Trump's policies and want to support women showed up last weekend for the Women's March. So we see this like mass mobilization for a movement. And yet we still have people that are criticizing all the diverse ways that people are trying to create that change. And one thing that I just think is so important to remind people is that every single structural change that has occurred throughout history has involved what people have described as violent, starting with indigenous resistance, right? That was obviously violent. There was, unfortunately, the colonizers fucking, you know, ended up occupying all this land. But so we can sort of think, thinking about the U.S., we can sort of start there. How else, you know, how else were indigenous people going to defend themselves against colonizers who were being violent to them, right? They were, first of all, violent in occupying their land, and second of all, violent in fucking shooting them, right? And then let's think about slavery. And people like to think that slavery was this thing that Abraham Lincoln, the good white man, like signed a piece of paper, (laughs) and then it was over. And everybody was free. And everybody was free. First of all, first there was, of course, the Civil War, but there was also John Brown and Harriet Tubman and a bunch of fucking slaves who were literally burning plantation owners alive for their freedom. Slavery would not have been fucking overthrown if it was not for that those actions, like militant, super fucking violent 
responses to slavery that I don't for a second condemn, like would never condemn. I think Harriet Tubman and John Brown are like the fucking heroes of U.S. history. Do you think, clarifying question, do you think, I've never talked to my students about this before, but do you think when people look at that history that they're more supportive of that? versus some of the stuff going on today. Like they'll say, oh yeah, that makes sense that the slaves would kill those people because we understand slavery is awful. But then if something was similar happening today, like punching Nazis, people are like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> right. You don't know about that. Right. Okay. Right. Exa- exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think definitely, definitely people are, or the Boston Tea Party, right? Like riots are bad. Yeah. Like property destruction is bad. Fucking white settlers were like, we're going to throw, we're going to literally like steal tea and throw it off a boat to make a point. And people were like, fuck yeah, when they're reading history, like, especially living in Boston, man, people like lose their shit, like cream their pants about American revolutionary shit. And it's like, you're like, what, how are you not seeing the connection here? Yeah, completely. And I think for some people, they think that just so much, like so much progress has been made, we don't need to do that stuff anymore. And I think that that's just people's incredible privilege, keeping them from seeing the reality of of oppressed people's lives, um, and not even understanding their own oppression, um, in some cases. So yeah, so just a constant reminder that violent, quote unquote, violent tactics have always been in play. And one of my favorite responses to the question of violence is from Angela Davis. Um, you've maybe seen this clip circulating. I think I posted it on the um, the Facebook page. Basically, Angela, Angela Davis is getting, who's from the Black Panther Party, is getting interviewed in, in prison. And the interviewer asks her about the Black Panther's supposed violent tactics. And she's literally incredulous that he would be asking this question because, again, the Black Panther Party's full name was the Black Panther Party for Mm Self-Defense. And uh, Angela Davis is basically like, people literally put bombs in our churches. They hang us by trees. They shoot us in the streets. And you're asking me about violence? Like, we're walking around our neighborhood with guns to try to protect our children from racists. And you're asking me about violence? And I just think it's such an important point to think about the idea of oppressed people and or oppressed people, sort of allies, comrades, accomplices, um, quote unquote, violent tactics as a response to violence that already exists. And another, I'm sorry, we're just never going to get through an episode without me like quoting multiple Black Panthers, but Stokely Carmichael, again, um, who we quoted last week says nonviolence can only work when your oppressor has a conscience. Capitalism and white supremacy and oftentimes the institution of the police and the prison system are violent, period. So you can't react to violence only with nonviolence. And I know some people disagree with that. Everybody's going to be like, Gandhi, Gandhi. Guess what? There was like also like resistance, militant resistance to the occupation there as well. So that's just my two cents is that if we're thinking, talking about violence, we have to look at the root of uh, the, the foundation. And that foundation is going to show us that the oppressive systems that we live in are violent. And so when people react militantly or aggressively, I'm not mad. Yeah. And can I just uh, directly quote that Angela Davis quote in part? Um, yeah. So you kind of explained 
what she was saying, but this part I think is really powerful. So she says, um, because what it means, you know, when people ask her about violence, what it means is the person who's asking that question has absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa. And I think that connects to, so unquote, and I think that connects to uh, a lot of the discussions we were having during the Black Lives, when Black Lives Matter was very prevalent uh, in mm-hmm. protesting, is that there was a lot of, you know, white tears about ambulances getting blocked and freeways getting shut down and, and mm-hmm. this um, lack of consciousness about why these people are actually reacting in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, they just literally have no idea what it's like to be a black person. They haven't taken the time to learn. And so I yeah. think, unfortunately, this quote uh, is still very relevant today. Absolutely. So I Absolutely. wanted to just, like, share what she... The way that she says it is amazing. And also, if you all are really interested in what we're talking about, the Black Power mixtape is the documentary that... Mm-hmm. Um, I first heard this quote. Uh, it's a collection of uh, found news clips, uh, like old video that somebody uncovered and, and made a documentary about uh, the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. And so I would mm-hmm. suggest that. It came out many years ago, but it uh, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Another way to sort of describe people's reactions and critiques to these kinds of, to the Black Bloc and any other militant resistance is the idea of respectability politics. And I think we need to be really uh, careful about not expecting people to be respectable or polite or decorous or behave in ways that seem palatable to the status quo because uh, because of everything that we just said, um, that we need to remember that his, his, historically people would not have thought Harriet Tubman was being very respectable or polite, <laughs> but uh, she got shit done. And... Uh, that those things are super integral to quote things that seem not respectable are integral to creating the kind of change that needs to be changed to really challenge systems of oppression because you can't you can't dismantle the tool the the master's house with the master's tools to quote that's Audre Lorde right mm-hmm. we can fact check that if in case no I'm it is. sure that's Audre Lorde um so you can't you can't dismantle the entire system only through writing to your senator like that shit is important so just the way that i as like a radical leftist have to respect mainstream you know mainstream government electoral sort of bureaucratic means for change like the way that that's like a struggle for me to like respect like oh you're gonna try to like change the system by like writing to your senator great like the way that i have to like swallow my radical pride and be like no actually that's really fucking important I would just also invite people who like that's their forum for change to also be like, you know what else is important? Occasionally throwing a brick through a window to re- to start a conversation about corporations, capitalism, etc. Wait, you're not going to get somebody who makes phone calls or writes emails to throw a brick through the window. No, to respect to respect, oh, respect it. it. Okay. To, to, or to or to not suggest that that's destroying the movement the way that I think maybe some hyper radicals would be like, why are you wasting your time trying to go through the system when you could be out in the streets? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, okay, some people are like, some people have like fucking children and work two jobs. And so they're going to like write a letter to their Senator. That's all they have time for. Mm-hmm. And some people are going to go out in the streets. And so change isn't going to come with one, one strategy. It's going to come with multiple strategies and tactics. Speaking of uh, writing letters, just uh, FYI, if you are doing that right now, it's best to call. This is like an honest P 
piece of advice for people. It's best to call your senators and your representatives. Yeah. Um, emails and stuff just get deleted and letters get thrown away. Um, and so people yeah. within um, the U.S. government who are on our side is saying, like, the phone calls matter the most. So just call and leave messages. Yeah. Um, and there's also there's some good documents going around about if you're like nervous, if you have like anxiety about phone calls, which I, I know a lot of people do. There's some good documents about like how to work through that, that fear um, or like call and leave voicemails. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's what I do. I call during um, why well, I, I have no phone anxiety, but like I called this weekend and you just leave voicemails. And the first couple I was like, I just, you know, the the thing with the Muslim, the, the <laughs> countries. And then by the last one, I was like, fine, you know, so mm-hmm. but what, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're stumbling over your words. Everybody gets nervous right. calling their representatives. The point yeah. is that the call was made and they can put a ch- another check mark next to somebody calling about the Muslim ban or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever issue is bothering you that day. So just call. Call mm-hmm. every day. It doesn't matter. You should call mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it takes five minutes and then do something, you know, that's like right. one of the many things you can do every day. Yeah. So the only other thing I wanted to mention real quick was uh, if, if people are still hearing the uh, argument that. Martin Luther King Jr. preached nonviolence and and he would never, you know, condone the stuff that's happening with the Black Bloc. People need to read up on their Martin Luther King Jr. history. And I think uh, you could Google uh, his letter from Birmingham jail to see actually how uh, militant he was in his nonviolence. So I think this goes back to my original point of like, what do you actually consider violent versus nonviolent? And so, you know, he was definitely in the the camp of, you know, if they start beating you, don't beat back, just take the beating because it's going to, it's going to look better in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the public eye that you just kind of like, mm-hmm. you were helpless. Um, but he definitely wasn't just for speeches and nonviolent marches. I mean, he promoted yeah. civil disobedience and was in jail for it multiple times. Multiple yeah, times, absolutely. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as I thought. Okay. Um, for sure. I'm telling yeah. people to read up um, on their history, and I'm like, how many times was he in jail? <laughs> I think that's fine. Okay. You're, you have the general sentiment that is important. Yeah, I, I echo that. And, um, and again, it is, it was brilliant of him to say, and, and there's great one of some of the most powerful sort of activist trainings that I went to was like learning how to make my body limp. If I like got hauled off by a cop, you know, at a protest to like, you know, just sort of be dragged away by a cop and like learning how to become that sort of a sympathetic protester. Right. But that's not the only, that's not the only method for change. And, and, and again, historically change doesn't happen with only that. So so that's that. Respect diversity of tactics. Reject respectability politics. Um, if you don't want to do the black block thing, cool. The other, th- I think the other thing is, is like, yeah, that sucked for the Starbucks worker who had to like sweep up the glass. But guess what? Starbucks has enough money to like replace the glass, and it's fine. Yeah, it's right? totally fine. Yeah, and who knows the yeah. the worker could have been like. Heck yes, this is amazing. Like, I'll gladly sweep up you know, like, <laughs> right. and support. Like, exactly. you don't know. You're just assuming that exactly. these workers are annoyed and that they they don't get paid enough to, to clean the stuff up. Well, maybe we should pay them more. And uh, Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anyways. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Hopefully that was um, helpful to help people think through uh, feelings about the Black Bloc and other forms of quote unquote violent protest. Shall we end really quick with our RWLs? Uh, yep.
Did I already talk about reading Black Wave, the Michelle T book? I don't remember if no. I talked about it on air. I'm almost finished with it. I only have a couple chapters left. It took me a while to get into it, but it's Black or it's uh, Michelle T's most recent memoir. But it's a mix of dystopian, apocalyptic fiction and memoir, um, and it's like really like creative and and um, interesting the way the way she she does that. Um, <clears throat> but it's. It's fascinating because she's writing as though the apocalypse takes place in the 90s in L.A. And so it's uh, largely because of like environmental degradation. Um, And it's like I was telling my friend about it. I was like, so, you know, like it's a world where like, you know, in the U.S. like poor people don't have clean water, like the oceans are dried up. And like my friend just looked at me and was like, "Uh, that's literally today. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is that is we are we're here we are. Um, but it's a good book and she's, um, for those of you who don't know, don't know Michelle T, she's one of my faves cause she's a queer femme, um, working class, uh, feminist rad woman who writes things that I relate to. So I, I actually like that stuff, uh, watching, oh gosh, I don't know, like videos of people occupying airports last night, which was rad as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and listening, gosh, to nothing that new, uh, Spotify has these daily mixes of, um, thing like they make a mix for you based on what you listen to. And there's all different categories. So I have like my rap and hip hop and I have my like lo-fi indie punk influence stuff. And I've been listening to that. So a lot of Waxahachie and Diet Sig and yeah. What about you? I am reading my Twitter stream probably too much. Um, mm-hmm. I'm having a dilemma about staying informed and my mental health. I have been (laughs) erring on the side of staying informed uh, because I do need to keep an eye on what's going on so I can talk to my students about it. So it's kind of a, it's a a topic for my therapist and I to uh, discuss uh, on Tuesday. Uh, So that's, you know, honestly, like I'm spending a lot of time doing that. Um, I don't know if I'm watching anything. I'm not watching anything. I'm seriously mm-hmm. like in a, a news, I'm either in a news yeah. bubble or I'm like totally unplugged, you know? Right. Um, right. And like, I feel like with reading and watching so much of the stuff that I, I consume is po- politically like centered, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's carrying extra weight right now. Like if I throw a transparent episode on, I'd be like, and he doesn't even care about Mora, you know, and just start right. crying about our country <laughs> So I'm like, I'm either it's just news or it's silence. Um, Yeah. Although I am listening to The Current more, which is our indie. I've been trying in the car when I'm driving to school to I'll listen to five minutes of the news, but then I'll put on music for the rest of the time. So like Mm -hmm. the other night, I just listened to The Current. Point being, it's it was really nice. It was just kind of like relaxing indie music. And then the DJ yeah. would come on and tell me about a show coming up. And there was just like no discussion of politics. Right. Which was nice. Um, so I've been I've been listening to more like mellow indie rock. I actually listened to Mumford and Sons the other remember that album? The yep, original one? I do. Yep. Yeah, that's during that would make me too sad fit. and nostalgic. That's the thing. Yeah. I was like, I need to yeah. listen to sad music. I Sorry, Kendrick. And I put out, I was like, ah. Anyways, I was like I said, I was a mess on Friday. And uh, yeah, yeah. No shame in my game. And if you're a mess listening, that's totally normal. And David, who was uh, our guest last week, um, mm-hmm. people seem to love that episode. He told me to just sit with my feelings. So that's a very yogi thing that you're not, because I was trying totally. to get my shit together, you know? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. no, you got to sit with that feeling. 
And yeah. as an Aquarius, I don't want to. I'd rather <laughs> just save because I need to get over my feelings so I can save the world, right? Like this is right. the problem exactly. of the, the Aquarius is that like we don't yep. have time to feel the feels. We need to get our shit together so we can change the world. But I guess yeah. we're supposed to sit with the feeling. So take that for what you will. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. WTF. WTF. Ah. Power. Power. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. In the cuff, dancing the whip. Juice in the cups, scuffs on the kicks. Trash in the club, never trying to mix. It's a drag on some of these people live. I'm a good one, wiggling it anyway. Till I had enough, spilling every drink, man. Fuck your stuff. Not sorry, never released. Got a shark, too many teeth. I'm on a trouble hunt. Yeah, that's what's up. Out of mind, looking to level up. Shit, I be the best when I'm highly under pressure. Take it easy, probably never in the breezy with the weather. Probably off, probably on to something better. Take the elevator up and get the paper in the shredder. More, more awesomer. Tossed in with lots of imposters and at a loss. What? Not welcome at your protest. Sam out of my damn mind, looking to break glass, not holding the damn sign. You probably find me representing 69. Occupy bed sheets, occupy everything differently. My state occupies, fuck that. Got a couple of bricks to occupy my backpack. Toss that, toss back, surly, surely. You know that the cops came early, burly, serve and protect by the curlies. Purely, here to prove a class less worthy. Yeah, they giggle at the top. They riddle got you thinking you can get it while it's hot. So, how's that going? So hard, full tension, full guard. I ain't got shit, but I ain't scarred. I got A1 credit on my come and get it card. Come on. Choking out the radio Whole best old vet on the overthrow No net, no checkmate I ain't even playing I am in a lane that'll give you vertigo Spin with it, no kidding I been did it Born villain, so willing to go get it What walls, what doors Left unexplored What's yours? All of it What rules? I don't hear nothing Everybody's over it Everybody's fronting Cold world, cool new blanket Stole it from the shelf at the Walmart Thankless Threat level awesome Threat level orange juice Who's gonna stop them? We ain't gotta throw stones at a glass House, we break in just so we can smash out. What's yours? All of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. What's yours? All of it, where you at? All of it, so you can keep your goal. Shit. That's, that's coming from me to you.